Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 235. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to review and discuss Peter Pan and Wendy, the live-action remake of the classic Disney film Peter Pan. This one went straight to Disney+. And uh, if you read through people's reviews on the internet, which is not always the best thing to do, you may have skipped this one because... The reviews for this are sort of all over the place. Like, if you felt like the reviews for the original Peter Pan were polarizing, this makes that look like it's amateur hour for sure. Well, I feel like you you are into Rotten Tomatoes. You said that was pretty divisive as far oh, yeah. as the fan and the critics. I've pretty much switched over to Letterboxd at this point, and I feel like everything was very consistent. It had like a two-star rating for the most part on Letterboxd. Yeah, so obviously the live-action remake, you hope that when it comes out, and this is true of all of Disney's live-action remakes, you hope that when it comes out, they fix certain things that they got wrong the first time around, or maybe because 50, 60 years has gone by, they are more technically savvy and they can beautify certain things where maybe they did it a, they did it great 50 or 60 years ago but with the advancements in technology you hope maybe like they can just bump it up a little bit and i think that that's what a lot of people were were hoping when they found out that they were doing a live action remake of peter pan i mean we were very much trying to keep an open mind because we were very critical of the trailer. Um, the first trailer we thought was just bad. Just yep. it, it didn't give you enough. And what we saw, we didn't really like. The second trailer we thought was better, but we still weren't very excited for this remake. But we were still very much trying to keep an open mind. And for me personally, I thought my biggest challenge, and this is without spoiling my review at all, um, I thought my biggest challenge was going to be not comparing it to Hook. I can say that I was able to watch this eyes wide open and not compare it to Hook at all. I think that that's sort of going to be the struggle for a lot of people because technically speaking... Even though Hook is a sequel, we've seen a live-action retelling of this story done very well, mind you. Yes, we have been to Neverland as a live-action entity. Right. Now, it we was had perfect. It was. We had a very lengthy conversation last week with our friend Luke Lawson about the original Peter Pan. We had to break that one up into two parts, so you can go ahead and listen to that and listen to our review of the original film. I just want to say no one was more surprised than we were that we had to break it up into two parts. Oh, for sure. But this left us with a lot of questions at the end of that conversation leading into this conversation right did this film bump up the effects did it beautify it more did it 
handle some of the outdated references of the original film. How true was it to the original book? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concertees listeners of monoreal radio can get a 20 percent discount using the code monoreal at checkout visit fiercefoxdesignco.com to check out all of the collections all right we're going to jump right into our conversation here because frankly to me i feel like the plot of this film is not much different than the original i feel it is vastly different but I don't think that there's any benefit to rehashing this plot because the the point of this is really to compare and contrast it to the animated film, which it claims to be based on between the, the 1953 Disney version and the J.M. Barry novel. I think that it's accurate to claim that it was based on the novel I don't see any semblance of the animated film in this movie whatsoever, except for one song. And I think that that is the only reason they credit the animated film in any way. Yeah. Um, So what stood out to me uh, immediately is that we open in the Darling House and John and Michael are playing their little pirate game, right? They're doing the story of Peter Pan. This intro is lame buckets compared to the animation. It is, but the other thing is that they are literally running around the house with swords in their hands, running through a formal living room while Mr. Darling is sitting there reading the paper. And he doesn't flinch at all. You know, the way that Mr. Darling was presented in the original animated film... And the way that he is very much presented in the book is that he's a take-no-nonsense kind of guy. Like, Mr. Darling, as we know him, through many iterations of this story, would not have been fine with his two sons sword fighting and running up and down the stairs and running in and out of a formal living room. And we talked about that at length <laughs> last week, obviously, was how great that opening scene was with the with the chaos and how that's juxtaposed against his character where he's just saying, you know, Peter Pan is poppycock because he wants to keep that order. Um, what I do really like is some of the opening dialogue with Michael and John where um, I believe John says you're out of time and Michael retorts with Peter Pan doesn't care about time. And I was like, OK, strong, strong start there because you got right to the core of the theme. For sure. And they did fix one issue that we kind of had with the animated film in that Wendy is in the nursery, but at least she has a curtain to draw across her bed so like she has some privacy in the space. But in this case, instead of her facing a punishment and being told it's time to grow up so we are removing you from the nursery, we've already set up that she's going to go to, I believe it's a boarding school. That was a huge fix to me that worked on many levels uh, 
first and foremost being it's not much ado about nothing where she's just moving to another room in the household. They definitely raise the stakes that she's like leaving, leaving. Um, not nearly as harsh as the reasoning in the book. Um, so they still very much Disney-fied it because in the book, uh, Wendy is being shipped off because they can't afford her. Right. Um, so I like that they didn't take it there. They dialed it back a little bit. But again, it's it's a bigger deal than you're getting your own room, Wendy, because we, that was a point that we made. Like, what kid is not excited to get their own space? But I also think that it works so much better for her character because we started hitting on this a little bit last week and I didn't connect the dots all the way there that, you know, we, we talked about what a great character arc Wendy has because at the end of the animated film, when she decides to walk the plank, that is metaphorically Wendy deciding I am going to grow up. I am going to leave my childhood behind. And it's a really great moment. And I hit on it that Wendy is brought to Neverland to fill the role of being the mother. And I also started hitting on it when I mentioned that when everybody else is celebrating with the chief and, you know, Michael and John are getting into it, they're dancing, they want to smoke the peace pipe. Um, Wendy is pulled aside and she's told to go get firewood. Where I didn't connect the dots all the way and the live action helped me realize is that Wendy is not only being forced to grow up, but growing up for her means stepping into the role of womanhood and the role of a mother and traditional, what was very traditional for women at the time. Right. So, it's not just the idea of the loss of innocence, the loss of her childhood. It's also that she is being pushed to, you know, become a woman and, and you're going to step into this role as a wife and a mother. And I think that the live action does do a really good job of illustrating that maybe those are not, Wendy's goals for herself and they start setting it up here because she does say as much to her mother um you know when they do have that conversation of her her mom is trying to console her about what she's being asked to do going to boarding school um Wendy says I I don't want your life or, or what if I don't want your life um so I think that that was actually kind of a nice change. And I like that they steered into it a little bit more here. I think that it answers a lot of questions. And I think that it certainly makes it a more modern spin on the story, which like in some ways makes sense. In other ways, it's like, well, you kind of still made like a turn of the century period piece here. So like, it's nice that you're rewriting history, but there's only so much history that you can rewrite. Now, like, I think that that works for Wendy's character, but at the same time, I don't find Wendy to be nearly as charming in this movie as she is in the original because she is grief-stricken with the notion that she's going to have to leave Michael and John in the nursery. 
This Wendy kind of just seems like she's ho-hum about it, and it's like she kind of could care less one way or the other. I would agree with that, especially because what really didn't make sense to me is um, this time they don't rip through a bed sheet. They break a mirror. So, again, raising the stakes, that's what brings Mr. Darling into the conversation. So I, I like that they actually got in a little bit of trouble here, but what really didn't make sense to me and I'm still bumping on is why Wendy rats them out as much as I enjoy an act of piracy which is how she justifies this decision I just don't really understand what the motivation was when she's supposed to be upset that she's leaving and you're right in in the animation she's grief-stricken she's upset here but not quite as much so why is this your she calls it their silly little game yeah and i i get that you're hurt that you have to leave the silly little game but you did pick up the sword you did join them you were start you were still trying to have your last hurrah so why did you turn on them like that and i really right. just feel like what they were trying to do was we need to hit beats to get peter in the picture because all of a sudden the next thing you know nana's being dragged out why Nana hasn't right. done anything right. yet. Right. You know, the whole thing with Nana being dragged out was because everybody fawned over Nana instead of over Mr. Darling. He kind of does it in an act of jealousy. So that whole thing goes out the window. So, like, they just do such a trash job, <laughs> truthfully they do, of introducing us to these characters who we already know very well. So, like... I don't know if that they if it's that they were trying to be totally different from the original or they just did the Disney thing with some of these remakes where it's eh, it's Mr. Doll. You get it. It's Wendy. You get it. No, 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 no. You are remaking a film or retelling or remastering or reimagining or whatever in the hell verbiage you use now for it's it. It's reimagining as per Disney Plus, actually. So you have to pretend that I don't know a thing about any of these people. And you need proper character development, especially because... Michael at least shows how upset he is in the animation about Wendy leaving. We get nothing from him. Michael is reduced to barely a plot point. Right. Everything is about Mr. Bear. And and remember something. In that original film, even after Wendy gets punished, it's always little chatter between her and her mother or her and the boys. Oh, come on, Peter Pan, Peter Pan. In this case, it's their silly little game. We have no knowledge that she taught them anything about Peter Pan. All we know is that she joined in on the fun and then got frustrated that they were seeing through the adventure that she put in their head. That's assuming she put it in their head based on a film from 70 years ago because we didn't see it here. Right. That's a big time problem. Yeah, it's a huge miss. So, we rush to get Peter and Tink into the room. Now, I actually think, and we're going to talk about the cast in a little while here, I actually did like this introduction to Tinkerbell. I thought that this was more... At at least it started that way. It didn't finish that way, but it started as a sassy... Take no, you know, take no, you know what kind of Tinkerbell. I liked her attitude. 
I liked her mannerisms. I liked her body language. Like, this to me, at the start, was Tinkerbell. They didn't follow through with it at all come the halfway point of the film. But that at least felt very familiar to me. I'm actually going to disagree. I agree with you in that I liked the attitude, the facial expressions, the body language. I thought she was more whimsical from the jump here. But I don't know what I missed more, the sassiness or the glow. One of the things, my biggest critique of this film is that it is so dark and I am not talking about the storytelling. I am talking about the nursery. You have to play with shadow. So you need some sort of light source. Tinkerbell in the animation is the light source. And here they put a little glow on her wings, but they didn't make her like this bright orb. And I was so upset because... It, I'm. I mean, she is a hallmark of this company. She flies out of the castle every single night, and like this is what she's reduced to. The fact that you can make out almost no detail at all whatsoever in this nursery, on their clothes, in their face, any of these characters. Because, like, if this were Pirates of the Caribbean and you're trying to make it like, you know, how daft London can be, how dreary London can be, that works for a movie like Pirates of the Caribbean. It doesn't really work for something that's supposed to be whimsical and colorful like Peter Pan. And if that's what you're going for, when you get to Neverland... That better look like the land of Oz. because yeah. And guess what? It doesn't. This is my biggest problem with this entire movie. Is that it is completely washed out. That's what I thought they were maybe going for. And they were setting it up in the nursery. Was that it was going to be that Oz jump from black and white to color. But... Just from the moment Tink entered, they do have when she flies up to Wendy, she lights up Wendy's face. But that's what I'm saying. There's no light source from her. How is Wendy's face illuminated when Tink is not the source? And the whole time I'm watching this, I'm going, what's going to happen with the shadow chase if it is already so dark in this room? And you can't even tell me, well, it's London, it's cloudy, there's not a source of light coming in from the moon. They live on the top, the nursery is the top floor. They have established this because we saw Michael and John go up the big spiral staircase. Yep. So if you're on the top floor and it's taking up the entire top floor of this townhouse, that means there's got to be, and we see it in the exterior, there's a window on each side of the building. So there, there is absolutely no excuse for them not to have a light source. And especially if, if you're going to eliminate that with the windows... Why not do it through Tink? I just don't understand how she is not spitting pixie dust all over the place. Well, pixie, you don't even need it really to fly very much anymore. I mean, apparently not. I mean, you need a little bit of it, but all right, let's, but I'm going to put a pin in that. Uh, yeah, this whole scene, 
you're chasing a shadow that we can hardly see on the walls. Yeah. We can make out absolutely no. I don't know if Peter's wearing green, wearing brown, wearing black, or wearing navy blue. I mean, it, like, he's Peter effing Pan. Okay, he's Peter Pan. He has been portrayed as wearing bright green in every iteration of Peter Pan there is. The fact that when I first see him, I think he's wearing brown. I think he's covered in mud. I don't know what he is. And the wallpaper is far too busy for the shadow. To, you can barely see the shadow as it is. And now you're going to have all these crazy patterns behind it. Are you the, the whole thing was just such a miss. And then it, it tumbles out into the hallway. How they didn't wake the darlings is beyond me. Because by the way, they didn't go out for the evening. So I guess, yay, they didn't drug the children so they could have their night out. But Mr. Darling, here's the mirror break and he comes running into the room and decides to parent all of a sudden. So now you're out on the stairs, you're making a ruckus chasing the shadow down. And then, you know, you do have the moment where Wendy sews the shadow back on and she accidentally pricks Peter with the needle and he cries out, you stabbed me, which is a gross exaggeration. Um, In the heart. Yes. I mean, okay, we needed to set up the kiss. We'll, we'll put a pin in that. We'll, we'll get back there. But the point is, the parents are home and they're not waking up. I just don't understand why we needed to spill out of the nursery and into the hallway when we hardly get any time in the nursery. And this scene is so iconic in the animation. If you're going to cut the music which we will get into why didn't we get to live in that space a little bit longer and you didn't like the hallway either so you can't even tell me it's because you wanted better lighting because we had to get to neverland that's why in their mind we have to get to neverland but why why the second scene you could have just done this whole part in the nursery i don't know i don't know all right, pulling the pin back out now. Um, I'm glad that they did keep the tradition of her sewing the shadow back on and um, the kiss. But what did you think about Wendy being the one to chicken out of it this time? Um, I think that it made no sense. She doesn't chicken out of it in the original animated film. And she doesn't chicken out of it in the book. She's the one who wants to pursue it. This is why she gets so jealous of all of the other girls that Peter is around. Well, I think this is going to be another... This is going to be another thing that I personally have an issue with in regards to this movie entirely. I have no problem with you making it modern and contemporary. And I have no problem that you want to make Wendy a strong female character or that you want to do the same with Tiger Lily because you obviously you're going to try and fix the whole Tiger Lily thing from the original film. I feel that they took too much emphasis at times on empowering, uh, empowering Wendy... And Tiger Lily. To the point where I think that you not only departed the original film, but you depart the source material that's the book. 
I think that this loses all this this movie I'm gonna just say that this movie has absolutely no charm to it absolutely none yeah it's got characters that are okay it's got talent that did the best job that they could with what they had to work with but I honestly have watched through this a few times and this entire thing to me reads look we fixed it to the point where your title character is hardly in the movie. And this is an instance where, like, is it a big deal in the grand scheme of things? Not really. But it also wasn't anything that needed to be fixed. It's kind of nice that you have the idea that she is going to pursue him. That he's not trying to pursue her or force himself on her because we know that he's a narcissist, Peter. We know that he's socially inept because he's he is just a child who does ha- not have any adult supervision. So the fact that we're about to lose her pursuing him, we're about to lose the maternal instinct that she has with not only Peter but with the lost boys. I understand that you're trying to get to this idea that maybe that's not the life for her. That's all well and good. But you still need elements of this that harken back to its source material where she still has some charm. If you don't think the source material is appropriate, maybe you don't need to make a movie again. Maybe what you do is you make a Captain Hook movie and you just tell the story of Captain Hook. Maybe you do a movie called Hook and Smee and you get a little bit of their backstory. Worked when you did it with Maleficent. Worked when you did it with Cruella. You notice how every time Disney does these reimaginings, of which Maleficent and uh, Cruella are in that category... They, they knocked it out of the park, expanded on a villain, told us a different side of the story without completely bastardizing the originals. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like this entire thing, and it starts in this moment, is Disney sitting there going, look, we fixed it. Look, I fixed it dot com. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like, that to me is what this is. Like, it... It's it's whatever. Like I I don't really care for it. Honestly, like when when it happened, I I kind of rolled my eyes and I was like, "Here we go." The first time we saw this and that's what they did. I said, "Here we go." You could just tell that this was the avenue that this film was going to take. Did I think Peter Pan was going to disappear in his own movie? No, that I didn't see coming. But yeah, that's I'm glad I got this out of my system now. So that Your I final review? So that I don't need to talk about it again later. Um, no, I I do agree for the most part. I mean, here's the thing. I think it works for this version of Wendy because I think this was setting up that I don't, I, I have more ambitions than just being a wife and mother. And I shouldn't say just because I am not belittling that by any means but it's setting up the idea that Wendy has other goals for herself 
So I can appreciate what it does to lean into that. I will even go so far as to say I'm okay with the departure from the source material in this instance. But what I am not okay with is how this now affects Peter's character. Because this is the beginning of introducing the idea that Peter is stuck in this adolescence where Wendy's mature enough to want to give him a kiss, whether that is maternal or romantic. I think in the animation it is supposed to be a little bit more romantic and Peter's totally uncomfortable with it because he's just not at that stage yet. And that does set up their relationship throughout the rest of the film. You've completely lost that here as far as character development, but to your point, you also lose so much of the charm. I mean, I'm glad yeah. they still carried it out with the fim- the thimble and they do bring that back around later on where Peter does give her a quote unquote kiss, but it it's kind of a big miss. It is. Not as big of a miss though as this flying sequence. To me, what they did with Big Ben here was the equivalent of missing the chandelier shot in Beauty and the Beast. I have a lot of thoughts, believe it or not, on this entire thing. Starting with the fact that Tink, the entire premise of Tinkerbell is that she wants nothing to do with Wendy. She does not want Wendy around. Yes. Now, we have seen in the book and in the original animated film that, you know, Tinkerbell looks at Wendy as a big, ugly girl. Those are the lines from the source material. And, you know, she is not so inclined to help Wendy get to Neverland to the point where Peter needs to grab her and use her like a salt shaker. Basically is forcing her pixie dust onto Wendy, John, and Michael because she doesn't want to bring them with her. In this case, you introduce the idea that she's aggravated. You introduce the idea that she's got an attitude. But then she just willingly brings them to life with the pixie dust. So so you you set this character up as, all right, here we go. Sassy Tinkerbell, attitude Tinkerbell. I'm here for it. And it's gone. Almost immediately, it's gone. Well, we did sort of hit on this last week that Tinkerbell wants to keep Peter happy. And I'm I'm not defending this choice, but I can kind of see the motivation for it because she's just going to go with what Peter says. She might not like it, but she's going to do it. But not without fighting back. That's the thing about Tinkerbell was she was always willing. I mean, she tried to kill Wendy. But even before that, she like pulls Wendy's hair where we have none of this. No. And I'm not saying like they should have stuffed her in a draw the way that they do in the animation, because in the animation, that's fun to see how, you know, it's brilliant how she has to open the draw with the scissors. I'm not saying we needed to do something like that again, although I would have liked to see more um, 
playfulness in the nursery as far as um, her scale. They, d- they did it a little bit when they're out in the hallway. She kicks a toy over. But now it's a live action. I would have loved to see them do more, you know, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Ant-Man type of things with bigger set pieces. Oh, you mean like they did with Julia Roberts and Hook? Where she was living in the dollhouse? I was trying not to go there, but yes, exactly. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying hard not to compare. But it's, but that's that's an instance where it's impossible not to because... They did you're, it well. Because they did it well. They did the exact thing that you're looking for. It's the exact thing that all of us were looking for, and it is done so well. Um, and especially that this tink hardly has any speaking lines and they do address it in the sense of you need to be able to hear fairies and they do allow Wendy to hear her at the end but to give her more screen time and give her more physicality that would have gone so far the flying scene itself the CGI to my surprise really didn't look that bad now I don't know if it's because they've finally turn the corner with horrific CGI, or if it's that it's just so effing dark that I can't tell that the CGI sucks even if it does. Because, again, you lose so much detail in this scene because I can't see what's happening. And to your point, then the effect that they did with flying through Big Ben to head you know, second star to the right and straight on till morning. The effect was cool. However, I don't want that in place of that incredible scene where Peter lands on the minute hand and strikes it down to a quarter after. It's so iconic that the fact that they missed it in favor of doing this other special effect was a total miss. To me, this is why you do live action remakes, because you do something that is so fantastical in the animation. And to be able to see that with real people would have been so cool. And what would it have taken to build that as a set piece? Money. (laughs) I was going to say not a whole lot, but yes, that's that's exactly the issue. But it would have looked so cool having them in silhouette, landing on that arm, uh, or, or on the hand, rather, I should right, say. Right, But the bigger issue to, to me here is that you're missing second star to the right. They don't fly into the stars. We spent so much time talking about this that, you know, Luke said one of his favorite lines in the movie is, Come on, everybody, here we go. Second yep. start of the right and straight until morning. And you hear it in the parks over and over and over. It's part of not only the Peter Pan ride, but it was a part of Wishes. The audio is used all the time. How do you eliminate the idea entirely of second start of the right and straight until morning when, when that is just so woven into the very fabric of Disney? It's a disaster that they missed it. And instead, you get this scene of them floating into the abyss. And one of the things that I had mentioned last week was that I really like the idea that it teeters back and forth between is this a dream or did it really happen? And we do get a definitive answer at the end. Here, 
this to me plays very much like they are falling into a dream sequence. And it also looks like a direct ripoff of Alice in Wonderland. So you're remaking the wrong film here. So now we get into Neverland. They rushed us here. Yeah. And this is your Neverland? This? I, I, I couldn't tell you whether we were in Neverland or whether we were in some distant planet in Star Wars. I think they have used this as a shooting location. And I would forgive that because if you recognize it from Star Wars, you know, it, it's not your fault that you're able to pick it out. But there's no money shot. There's no double rainbow. And there's there's like no geography here at all. It's just a place in the middle of nowhere. It's an island. Which which Neverland is, yes, but there are so many different facets of it. There's... There are different areas of this island in Neverland. This is kind of just like there it is in this film. You you lose It's a cliff. It's it's such a miss. And we like, you couldn't wait to get us here. And it's 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 not bright and it's not cheery and it doesn't look like it's inhabited by children. This looks like it's inhabited by the children of the corn. Like <laughs> they're just like there's nothing there's no whimsy. There's no sparkle. There's, there's no, no magic. There's nothing. You took one of the most magical stories ever written. Turned it into one of the most magical films of all time. And remade it into drab nonsense. No, and this has nothing to even do with the animation and everything to do with this is what you took from the source material, from this incredible source material that Peter, he, he doesn't ever want to leave this place. And and the kids were so enamored with the idea of going there, and and this is where you brought them. I mean, it's beautiful. Like in real life, I would go there. It, you know, it to me, it looks like Ireland or something. I would love to visit there in real life, but I just don't feel like this is an accurate representation of what Neverland should be at all. I believe that it was Newfoundland, but here's the thing. If I want to go to Newfoundland, I can go to Newfoundland. I can't go to Neverland. Right. Right. So if you're going to do it, make it fantastical. Do the impossible. Do what they couldn't do in 19... Wait a minute. But they did do it in 1953. Albeit with hand-drawn animation, they didn't do it with live-action actors. But they did it. And you didn't. And we're supposed to sit here and, and declare a victory that this is somehow better. It's not. None none of this is better. What I will say, I do like what they did with the pirates. I like that it was a little bit darker. It felt very piratey. Um, did it feel like Pirates of the Caribbean? Yeah. Very much so, but I will give it a pass because how many different ways can you do that? You know, um, I, I think this improved on the on the animation because as much as I like the whimsical pirates, I did say that last week that 
I really missed that Pirates of the Caribbean element where they look like a collection of these different cultures that you've picked right. up in all of your adventures. So I think they certainly captured that more. And I like that they made them, you know, like your grungy pirates. Um, shall we talk about Hook? You want to get into this? We can get into it. Yeah. So I like the pirates. I like the. I like that they go for it with the attack that they launch on Wendy, Peter, John, and Michael. Um. I give them credit for that. Um, Hook. I mean, the 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 eccentric villain that was Hook, as you knew him is gone. I do like that they went for it because we talked about what an inherently evil act it was that he just shoots one of his crew down because he didn't like the song that he was singing. What I like here is that they still went for it. We still see him shoot a crew member off the rip, but it's because he says Peter Pan and Hook does not want the name mentioned. So I actually like that motivation for him being evil. And I would have been fine if it stopped there. I'm going to pull my other pin out now. You mentioned why not make a Hook movie. I think number one is because the title was already taken, although you could have named this Captain Hook and we all would have been just fine with that. Captain Hook, Hook and Smee. Any yeah. of these things. I think that this film has an identity crisis because they also tried to do that. And they were trying to make this Wendy-centric, but also trying to flesh out Hook's backstory. And you needed to do one of the other because this is where you lose Peter Pan. Yeah, because at this point... Peter is more or less gone. Yeah. For a considerable amount of screen time. Because after they get blown to smithereens. That was a pretty good hit, by the way. Wendy washes up on shore. She's found by Tiger Lily and the Lost Boys and girls who are still called the Lost Boys. What, what do you think of the Lost Boys here? Here's my take on this. Because everyone was so quick to go woke Disney and we had to put girls in with the lost, but that's that's not what this is about here. Um, long before the Me Too movement, um, there was the introduction of the Bechdel test, which requires films to not only have women with speaking lines, they have to speak to each other and it cannot be about men because in early cinema, that's what women were used for as plot points to serve in a man's story. And aside from the fact that it didn't give actresses interesting roles to play um it leaned into gender stereotypes and 
in my opinion, it also contributed to the pay gap, which we are still trying to make up for now. Because if women are not speaking as much as the men on screen, well, they're not working as many days and you certainly don't have to pay them as much. We are still dealing with the fallout and the repercussions from that. To me, incorporating girls into the Lost Boys is more about addressing the Bechdel test because the animated Peter Pan would not pass it. Um, Because, yes, you do have Wendy speaking to her mother in the animation, but they're talking about Peter for the most part. Um, Wendy never really speaks to Tiger Lily, and she has very little interaction with the mermaids. So, to me... Educate yourselves a little bit, people. This is not woke Disney. This is about making sure that women are represented fairly. And this is about passing the Bechdel test. So I think that that's why they did it. But I think to avoid the backlash, instead of calling them the Lost Boys and operating as the Lost Boys under that banner with girls in it, I think that they should have renamed Peter's group not to the lost people because I think that's weak and it's a cop-out I think that there just should have been another name and would there have been an outcry about deviating from the source material yes but I think it would have been less of a blow than calling them the lost boys and having everybody up in arms that there's a couple of girls in Peter's group What I think is a victory here is that you did cast a child actor with Down syndrome to play one of the Lost Boys. And he steals the show. Anytime he's on screen, he's great. He's so charming. He's so good. He's the most charming thing about the movie. Yes. Like, quite honestly. Um, You know, I, I understand why they made the changes that they made. I mean, you could have also, if you didn't want to set people off with the Lost Boys you could have developed the mermaid characters a little bit more. Maybe they play more of a role with Tiger Lily and kind of keeping the sanity at Neverland and, you know, uh, helping out, being a part of what rescues John and Michael out of the cave because it's not going to be Tiger Lily, it's going to be John and Michael. It's not the end of the world. It's not a bad thing that they made them the Lost Boys, but I think the problem is that where people jumped to woke Disney is because they had to make sure they had it in the trailer. We're the Lost Boys, but you are girls. So what? Like, that's where people see this stuff and they go, that's woke Disney. But what I do applaud them for is that, yes, they revealed that there were going to be girls in the Lost Boys in the trailer, but they did not reveal Slightly's casting. And they just let us have the movie and have us appreciate the wonderful thing that they did without publicizing it and making a big deal and giving people a reason to comment on it. And instead, we could just watch the movie and go, wow, this is really impressive. And the actor's wonderful and he's so charming. And just take it in and experience the film instead of going into it with a preconceived notion. But that's not how Disney marketed it. This is my thing. Like, Disney, the re- this is why people just threw their hands up and said, woke Disney. That they, they had to have that interaction. They had to have that piece of dialogue specifically in the trailer. 
And that's where people throw their hands up and say, I've had enough of this. And I'm not saying that they're right. They're wrong. However, you think for a second that Disney, there is there is a sect of Disney where they know that if they crank people up on social media, it just draws more hits to the trailer. But that's what I'm saying. I would rather have that outcry be over the girls than have people talking about casting an actor with Down syndrome and have there be backlash like that's a bad thing because it's not. I, I would never want this actor or anyone with Down syndrome to feel that this is negative in any way because people saw it in the trailer and, and said anything about it other than, wow, that's great. Welcome to the cesspool that is the internet. Um, let's talk about how Captain Hook starts interacting with everybody, right? Because now Peter's gone. See you later, Peter. Um, basically, what you just did was you just swapped Peter Pan and Wendy. That's really, like, if you want to look at the title of this film, Peter Pan and Wendy, look at it as they swapped Peter. What it should be is, like, parentheses, they swapped Peter Pan and Wendy. That is basically what this movie does, is Wendy ends up being the hero, which is fine, but, like, but but you, you, you've completely just made Peter Pan irrelevant, which is a problem when you make a film that's got Peter freaking Pan in it. And you have also completely annihilated your source material at this point, because now is when Wendy is shot down. And we didn't really get to talk about this last week. You know, it's not like we were talking for four hours or anything. Or anything it's like amazing that. to me that this didn't come up that in this. Well, we did. We did hit on it a little bit that Wendy is shot down by the Lost Boys and she's almost killed. And what they do is they build a house around her. But metaphorically, that is another thing that reinforces the idea of Wendy is going to grow up and become a woman, become a wife, become a mother. Because the first order of business is let's put her in a house and box her in and go make me a sandwich. And, and, that's what it's supposed to represent. No, it is. Don't roll your eyes. Sean's rolling his eyes right now. That is what it's supposed to rep it's supposed to represent in the book. So they've taken that away, but we don't even see her get shot out of the sky. We do by the cannons. But because of this interaction with Tiger Lily, now Wendy is just embraced. And because her brothers are in peril, we need to go find them right away. So I do agree with you in terms of swapping Peter Pan and Wendy, but they swapped the roles as they are in the animation. I just don't understand why in this instance you wouldn't revert more back to the source material. And I'm not suggesting that you shoot Wendy down and put her in a house, but it would have lent more to the idea of, no, this is not what I want. I don't want to be your caretaker. But because they're rushing through everything, now they have to go get John and Michael. Right. So John and Michael end up in peril, and Wendy and Tiger Lily and the Lost Boys have to trek out to rescue them. Now, I like, I like Hook's interaction with John and Michael, and I got to say, I love me a little pirate shanty here. Everything about that, 
I thought worked very well. But when you eventually get Peter back, because he just kind of appears to help, which is more or less, it's less to help and it's more because he's got to fight Captain Hook. This is the first real interaction we're seeing with Captain Hook and Peter. It is completely flat. Uh, you you pretty much took the words right out of my mouth. Um, my note was that Skull Rock happens way too, the Skull Rock scene happens way too early. Yep, and there's absolutely no build to it. I would have really liked to see, you mentioned this before, if the mermaids were somehow involved in helping because we, we get a glimpse of them. And just a glimpse. Just a glimpse. And then they're gone. They did uh, do the character design more as sirens, which does pull from the book more. Um, but they're in the water. They'd be the first ones to see John and Michael. And if they're on Peter's side, why not? why not get involved and and help especially when you've eliminated the entire mermaid lagoon scene which is one of the most stunning parts of the animated film so to me you completely just squandered having mermaids in the movie at all and it would have certainly lent to making neverland feel more magical being that they put the setting on a on a cliff um but yeah, I, I just feel like this happens way too early. I feel like this is too easy for Hook that he picked up Michael and John like this. Um, the only thing that I do really like about the actually, no, there's two things I, I do really like about the scene. I love how Peter is introduced back in where they're all chanting no children in Neverland and he switches it to no one but children in Neverland. I thought that that was pretty clever. And I feel like this is the most th- this this is the most that the character closely resembles the book or the animated version of Peter as we know him, where where he does something to play with the pirates and yeah, toy with them because he's in disguise. He's yes. disguised himself as a pirate, much like Peter Pan. My, I don't like at all that at this point in time, we have rushed to get John and Michael into peril, you know, to kind of echo what you had said, because mind you, they didn't want to show the Indians in this film other than Tiger Lily. And that's where we are introduced to the idea that everything that happens in Neverland is a game. Yes. Right? That entire thing gets thrown out the window. Remember, we're supposed to want to go to Neverland, where we're always going to be children, and we're going to play games forever, and we're never going to grow up. But at some point, we're going to face the harsh reality that, while that sounds good on the outside, it's really not realistic, and it's really not as ideal as we think. We've developed this idealistic Neverland idea... Because John and Michael are playing follow the leader. It's a part of the game when they get captured. They are not released. They get out of that. They're then swallowed up by Captain Hook, 
who offers them spots on their crew and immediately they're like, oh, being a pirate could be fun because to them it's still part of the game. That never happens here because they are immediately blasted from the sky, taken hostage, and immediately they do not want to be in Neverland. So you have completely undone the idea that Neverland is even a place that you want to be. No, and I am so glad that you bring that up because that was something that I realized after our discussion. Because, you know, talking about it for four hours, there was a lot to marinate over. Um, That was something that I never realized is what an incredible metaphor it was because Luke pointed out that when they're thinking about their happy thoughts, Wendy wants to go to Mermaid Lagoon. John wants to, uh, he wants to see the pirates. Right. And Michael wants to be an Indian brave. And when they experience all of those things, the mermaids try to drown Wendy. Um, The Indians capture John Michael and the Lost Boys. And then later they get captured by the pirates. That is such a metaphor for the things that you want in your adulthood or anything that you want in life is not always what it's cracked up to be or what you're what you think it's gonna be. Um so I'm really glad that you bring that up because yeah, that's completely out the window. Um, but the other thing that I do like in this scene is where they try to incorporate some of that whimsy and bring it back because when uh, Peter and Hook have their sword fight, it's very hard to catch because, again, it's so freaking dark. Uh, Their shadows start fighting independently. And I thought that that was really cool. And I wish that they brought that back around later on in their other sword fight. Um, I thought that that was really clever. Um, And you start introducing whimsy. So I'm thinking, oh, great. Now we're going to have TikTok. We're going to get the silly comic relief in this crocodile. Or maybe we're going to get a really scary crocodile. And we get neither. They didn't do the Jaws thing because you don't hear the clock coming up at all. And that is such a huge entity of any iteration of Peter Pan. Um, He just kind of appears. And instead of using him for comic relief, you do try to make it dark because he does get a couple of the crew members. You still have the shot where Hook lands on his open mouth and he's balancing as to not fall in. And I was like, this is where you chose to incorporate the comedy? It just makes the scene feel so clunky because tonally we don't know where we are. And the scene ends with us wondering, like, is TikTok dead? Is he mortally wounded? Is he stuck? And he's gonna come out? How did he even get in the cave to begin with? How did Hook not realize he was there? It's it's just an awful lot of questions. And then... And that's where utilizing the mermaids would have worked out even better, too. And And now you get Peter, who, as I've said before, lacks all of the charm from the original. Because he's a narcissist, but in a charming way because he just doesn't know any better. What they have done to this character... And I don't know if it's in service of boosting Wendy and Tiger Lily to make them more the heroes 
or if you're just trying to make Peter dislikable, because that's basically all they accomplish. He's too stubborn, and he's too pouty. This is not a child that has lacked the ability to grow up and therefore lacks social norms like we saw in the animated film. This is not the child that is self-absorbed because he ultimately is control of he is in control of more or less everything that's going on in Neverland because you know we're playing games all day even when it's dangerous it's not really cuz it's a game. And he says, oh, the cleverness of me. That's all out the window. And you just have a pouty, stubborn, obnoxious, dislikable, out of touch Peter Pan. That's exactly what I was going to bring up was had they just incorporated the line, oh, the cleverness of me. Because they do also get it. It wasn't just why are you crying they did also get dark and sinister man in there they got all those classic lines from the literature yeah had the they, death would be a journey yeah yeah had they just added oh the cleverness of me if you wanted to boost wendy and tiger lily that would have been enough to do it because he's so blinded by his own ego and and just being peter pan um you know, they successfully pull that off in the animation, even without the line, because we had talked about, you know, he forgets Tiger Lily and he almost lets yeah. her drown because he was so busy, you know, showing off and fighting Hook. Right. And and here you don't even have him crow. And no. and that would have been enough to put a Band-Aid on it as far as why... Wendy and, and Tiger Lily are so much more needed to save the day. He could have said, oh, the cleverness of me in regards to him sneaking in dressed as a pirate. You know, like yeah. there's so many things that you could have done starting with never remaking this film, which was your first mistake. Um, they also then develop this idea that everybody is sort of over it with Peter, including Tinkerbell. Yeah. In service of developing a relationship with Wendy. I like I don't understand why we needed this. I I don't understand why we needed this change. I think it takes an awful lot of the drama out of it. I think it completely negates Tinkerbell's character arc mm. at the end of the film. I, I hate the fact that we lose the sinisterness of Hook manipulating Tinkerbell. Yes. Like, instead, we just rush to this idea that they're friends and we're over it with Peter. This is all in service of just eliminating Peter Pan as the title character and making him completely irrelevant. So at this point, if you're not going to make a film called Captain Hook, then just make a film called Wendy. I, I don't understand why. Or, and make it a sequel. Do something else. I, like, th you d th last time, and I'm not saying it again, you took a Peter, you remade Peter Pan and, and, and just flipped Peter Pan and Wendy. That's, that's all that you did. So well, there's no reason to do that. To me, the biggest miss of all in this scene is losing the Lost Boy Treehouse. 
I hate this temple. I hate that it doesn't even look that any, it doesn't look like anyone lives there. There's no hammocks. There are no, there's no bedding. They're all just gathered around the fire and it just looks so dark and cold. Um, this, this is where you lost just so much of the charm. So I can hardly get past that enough as it is. But where this scene and the story falls apart even more for me is that Wendy pretty much attacks Peter Pan for all of the reasons that you mentioned, but we don't actually see her have a reason to believe any of that. I feel like they're trying to create conflict for conflict's sake, that they are rushing the film, and she makes all of these accusations about seeing through Peter and and why she believes that he's acting the way that he's acting, but there was no build to this. I agree with why she's calling him out. But I don't think she knows why she's calling him out because that moment has not been earned in this film yet. It's not built to like they do in the original. That's that's exactly it, yes. They rushed into it because because this is what they cared about. This is the moment that they cared about. Is Peter Pan, the original 1953 Peter Pan, is it so offensive and is it so wrong morally that we had to completely tear it down just to get to this moment? The answer is no, my friends. The answer is absolutely not. But th- this, is why, this, is, this is what they wanted to do. You could have just made this into a short film called Wendy Tells Off Peter, and that would have been the end of it, and it would have been fine. Like, this, they, because this is what the payoff was. Folks, I got news for you. The payoff of the movie, this is where it is. In terms of where the movie actually hits a climax, this is it. The movie runs for another half an hour after that, but it's not the climax of the film. This is the climax of the film. This is what they built to. This moment right here. Well, they didn't build to it. That's that's my argument. You're supposed to build to this by the end. Part of the reason that Wendy decides that it's time to grow up is not because she wants to grow up. It's because she can't deal with the immaturity anymore. Peter just rescued her brothers. He hasn't done anything to deserve this. All that has happened since they got Michael and John away from the pirates and they've gone back to the treehouse is that Wendy or the treehouse? I just said it. They've gone back to the lost boys hideout is that Wendy learns that captain hook used to be one of the lost boys, but he has since grown up and, and, that is what makes her tear into Peter. And what they For rely no reason, on. What, well, what they rely on is him saying, I always win because that's just how it is. They, it, it makes him so stubborn and so immature that instead of having these other instances where he's acting with reckless abandon. Yes. Right. Th- they just rely on. We don't really like him because guess what? At this point, nobody likes him. Not Wendy, not Tink, not John and Michael, not the Lost Boys, not Tiger Lily, not Hook, not Smee, not me. Nobody <laughs> likes Peter at this point. So in, so this is this is just so weak in terms of screenwriting. 
because you just made him dislikable because because it was easy. Yeah, and then you have Wendy calling it out because even though her character should have no reason to believe these things about him. It it just, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and the, now, the luster never wears off because the luster of Peter Pan was never really there. Right, right. And now we're going to shift from Wendy into Hook's backstory. Yes. What do you think about this? This, to me, feels like I'm watching a Wish.com version of Hook. The whole idea that they were secretly friends and kind of are at the end anyway. Isn't that the exact thing that they tried to do at the end of Hook? Albeit Dustin Hoffman's Hook did it so that Peter would trust him and turn his back on him. He did it to expose a moment of weakness so that he'd get him at the end. Well, see, this is where I don't think you compare it to Hook at all. At least I didn't because in Hook, they didn't give this backstory that they were friends. But now that Peter's an adult, him and Hook have a mutual respect for each other. They don't do that here because Peter's still not grown. I just don't think that you needed to give Hook... I'm fine with delving into his backstory a little bit more, but I don't think that this was the solution. I think that this was weak sauce. The other thing that baffles me is now the pirates are sneaking up on their hideout because they were led there thanks to Wendy. If you lived there and your name was carved onto the door, how do you not know where this place is? And don't tell me it's because you left. And, and you grew up and you forgot because that is such a cop-out. And it's not like you've done this incredible world-building where Neverland's a very large place. You're telling me in all of those years that you sailed around trying to either kill Peter Pan or escape the crocodile, you didn't stumble upon this? I'm saying. Yeah, this this whole thing was just awful and what I really would have liked to see instead of Tink forging this relationship with Wendy had they not captured her I wish that she had gone to Tiger Lily to tell her what was going on instead we send Peter's shadow are you kidding after Peter's been slashed and effectively killed by Hook okay that I actually don't mind. It deviates from the source material quite a bit. But if the animation was willing to do something as bad as deliver a bomb to a child, I actually applaud them. All this play sword fighting and all these games, no, you're actually seeing the, rep the repercussions of that. It's dark, and I like that they went for it. But now you've also eliminated Peter from the main storyline yet again. Yep, and you know why. Um, then the pace of the film is absolutely killed because Wendy, the Lost Boys, John, Michael, they get captured and they're thrown in cells in the, you know, the cargo hold of Hook's ship and Hook basically just spills his guts and reiterates how much he hates Peter Pan again. But it goes on and it keeps going. And it keeps going. And it keeps going. 
that scene drags forever. The only redeeming quality about it is that this time, instead of Wendy deciding to walk the plank because she doesn't want to join the crew, she does it to sacrifice herself for her brothers. So I think it works in this case. Even though you don't have that moment of, I'm going to be a grown-up now and I have to do a very grown-up thing, um, she sets more of an example in the animation, whereas here, I'm, I mean, obviously you are doing an amazing thing by sacrificing yourself, but it's, it's not, um, it's about everyone else but her. But we can't miss an opportunity to make our title character irrelevant. Because what happens next is that Tinkerbell has been put in the lantern. Tiger Lily goes and puts mud on Peter's wound. At least that's what it's looked like. I don't know what it is because the movie's so freaking dark. I, I think she just put mud. I think, yeah, rub a little dirt on it. You'll be all right. And like, and, and again, it brings him back to life. Another missed opportunity to have the whole tribe. You could have incorporate, incorporated more culturally accurate depictions. You could have incorporated more females. You know, especially if we want to run with that metaphor that mothers are caretakers, you could have had the women in, in the tribe tending to Peter. Correct. But instead, we just get her literally rubbing mud on his chest like it's Vicks VapoRub. And now, Peter Pan cannot fly. Peter Pan cannot fly. What you have completely eliminated is the idea that we need to believe in fairies and that we need to believe in Tinkerbell. Now, Tinkerbell's just been put in a lantern and walk away, and Peter Pan can no longer fly in a Peter Pan film. Well, what they do instead is Tink breaks free, which the way that she goes about it, she could have gotten, gotten out so long she ago. She could have done it the whole time. But what I do like here, ultimately, instead of... Peter saving Wendy and swooping in and flying to get her because he can't fly. Tink saves Wendy. But what I applaud them for doing here, and this is where they bring it full circle with Wendy's character, is that her happy thought is her goals and her ambitions. Because the first, when we first watched this, I was like, wait, her happy thought is being a grown up, but it goes so fast, you don't catch that it's her writing it's her traveling it is her doing everything but being a mother and I was like okay this works for this version of the character and this is what they should have leaned into a lot more in the animation so I I will give it the point for that and then Peter fights with Hook he tries to not fight him because they're friends Hook finds himself dangling from the edge of the mast of his ship, and Peter tells him, Captain Hook, you can fly if you just think happy thoughts. 
And Hook says, I don't have any. And then he falls into the water. I can appreciate the idea that the whole thing is a metaphor for he is now a jaded adult. However, however, if all you have to do in Neverland is to think happy thoughts to fly. How has Peter Pan lost the ability to do it? It's very contradictory. My bigger issue with this, I don't feel, I I feel like it weakens the entire story by having Peter apologize. But I think you did need it for this particular story arc because then otherwise, what did Peter learn? Since, you know, you eliminated him for most of the movie. We talked about it last week. Peter does learn that in some cases, some people have to grow up and that's why he brings the darling children back to London. So here, to give him the arc, you did need him to apologize to Captain Hook. But it still doesn't feel earned because they've hardly had any interactions. And in the interim, they're flipping a pirate ship. Oh, where have we seen that before? Yeah. And so Peter brings them back to London and he leaves the Lost Boys. No, he brings the Lost Boys, but we're getting ahead of ourselves here. This entire film is so dark. And yet, instead of having a night shot where they illuminate the ship in pixie dust, you do it in broad daylight and it doesn't glow. Are you kidding? But then they go to London where he leaves the Lost Boys in London. Oh, you meant that he doesn't... I thought you meant he doesn't take them from Neverland. And I was like, no, he very much does. No, he just leaves uh, them with the darlings. They're in the nursery, yes. And we are to assume that everybody lives happily ever after because then Peter goes back to live in solitary confinement (laughs) with Captain Hook and Smee. Well, no, Tiger Lily's still there. But, like, just Tiger Lily and, like, one other person. They You bothered... To remake this, why didn't you write the biggest wrong of the 1953 version and and incorporate more of the tribe? I, that's a huge miss. But um, what what I do, one of the few things I like about this ending, um, having the Lost Boys in the nursery, and then once the Darlings come to see now now all of a sudden they can hear the noise once the darlings come up and interact with them we can confirm that this is real because they are really there they have returned home uh the darlings acknowledge them so now we can confirm that this really happened and what i do really like is that we learn that this was Peter's house once upon a time, and that's why he keeps returning to it. So I thought that that was a nice touch, but then he leaves so abruptly. Are we ready to talk about the cast of Peter Pan and Wendy? I think so. Starting with uh, Alexander Maloney, who is our title character, Peter Pan. I'm going to say this 
once in regards to every character and every actor and every actress. I think they played what was written for them. With that being said, this is the most dislikable Peter Pan I have ever seen. I don't blame him. I blame the screenwriting. I blame the direction. This is one of the most beloved characters in all of literature, and you just made him fall so flat by no fault of the actor. It's just that, like, I wish they would have even made him more dislikable and more narcissistic and more egotistical because then I would be going, wow, this kid did a really great job. But it's it's neither here nor there because the character is just so flat. It is so disappointing. Ever Anderson plays Wendy, probably one of the better all-around performances in the film because... Wendy's not dislikable. I mean, yes, I I think that they put a lot of emphasis on her for a multitude of reasons that I've already launched into. I think that Wendy is the lead character of this film, so the movie should just be called Wendy. And I think that she plays a good Wendy, but I don't... My my thing is, when it comes to her specifically, we didn't need this film to be made. I, I just don't think this film had to happen. And I don't care for the way that they did make it happen. I would have rather seen, if you're going to do a film about Wendy, I would have rather seen a film about Wendy. Show me what we saw at the end, her happy thought. Why don't we just see that play out? Maybe maybe she's just gotten back from Neverland. Let's see what yeah. happened after she got back. Yeah. Or maybe she's trying to get back and she can't. That's what I want to see. Because she's growing up. Yeah. Yeah. I would have loved to see that. Um, I mean, I, I do like what they did as far as it's not just about her growing up. It's about she is questioning what she wants out of life. And she doesn't want to be forced down a path. I think that that certainly makes the film feel more contemporary and I applaud the way that they went about that. Um, I also really like the performance because Ever Anderson is a Nepo baby. She did not use her real real last name, which is Jovovich, as in Mila Jovovich's daughter. Um, But I think that, I honestly think that she carried the film because every other character is written so flat she had a lot of heavy lifting to do. Um, yeah. So even though, I'm not going to say her mother got her the job, but even though she did have an easy in, I, I think that she did really well and she was good casting. Alyssa Wapanatak plays Tiger Lily. You know, again, you obviously are trying to write a wrong from 1953. You want to empower Tiger Lily, and you did so by making Peter dislikable. This character is extraordinarily flat. They didn't do enough with her. She doesn't break John and Michael free in Skull Rock. She tries, the sword breaks. She rubs dirt on Peter Pan 
throws him on the back of the horse and rides him off to go fight Captain Hook at the end. Outside of that, what did she do? If you're trying to right a wrong, and if you're trying to give this character more meaning, you've got to do more than just make the other character less likable. Yeah. There's so much opportunity with Tiger Lily here, and they hardly scratch the surface of what they could do with this character. And honestly, I thought that because Disney has a tendency to do this and overcompensate... I thought that we were really going to get a lot of screen time with Tiger Lily where we learn more about her backstory um, and see more of the tribe. And I I feel like everything that they wrote to Captain Hook is where they should have focused on her. I mean, I like that she was a source of wisdom for Wendy. But I also thought that they were going to be playing her more as one of the Lost Boys or as the leader when Peter's not there, but she doesn't even stay with them. Right. So I, I really feel like they, they missed an opportunity to do so much with this character that could have been really interesting and made the story more interesting and and made this remake worth telling. Jude law. This hurts my soul. Because I adore Jude Law. Yeah. And I was excited when I heard that he was cast as Captain Hook. He was cast as the wrong Captain Hook. This this Captain Hook lacks the charm, lacks the eccentricness that you expect. Because even Dustin Hoffman is totally eccentric and completely calculated and evil. Like everything about this is it's so much missed opportunity. Yeah, just another flat character. Did I expect him to play Captain Hook with all of the flamboyance as the animation? No, absolutely not. But did I expect him to lean into being really evil? Yeah. And you did neither. He's just in the middle. And I'm sorry, it grieves me. That that has more to do with the writing and the direction. It grieves me to say this because I don't want to launch an attack on Jude Law either. But like, I'm sorry, you carried around a prop for this movie. You did not become Captain Hook. I didn't feel like Dustin Hoffman's. And again, I'm trying not to compare it because it's just so good. But he he became one with his hook that i believed that was his appendage this to me felt like jude law was carrying it around and he couldn't get used to it it felt super clunky and it didn't i mean it didn't look real like to me like that hook looked like a piece of plastic that was the most cartoony thing about it because it was comically large and i that would have been funny to in, if you're not going to make the character as flamboyant as the animation, lean into the fact that he's got this huge thing that he can't really work properly. Make make Smee your hook. Meaning, if you can't operate this thing, make Smee do the dirty work for you. Make Smee be your hands. My big problem with Smee, who's played by Jim Gaffigan, is that Jim Gaffigan is a very funny comedian. You hired a very funny comedian to play comic relief, except you didn't write it as a funny enough character. 
how did you hire one of the better comedians on the market to be comic relief and write an unfunny character? I knew from the trailer. The fact that they didn't have a one-liner, the fact that there was no physical comedy, that they didn't even give you that punchy trailer moment, I was like, oh no, it's going to be so bad. Yara Shahidi plays Tinkerbell, and I actually really liked her as Tinkerbell. I did too. Her facial expressions were she wonderful. Nailed but nailed it. I, I wish there was more body language. I, I just wish, and, and just more screen time and more comedy. I mean, that's the thing. You, you ripped all the comedy out of this film. You could have channeled it through her with, with just the set pieces. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's certainly not uh, a, a dig at the act- actress because I, I really did like the performance here. It's just what they did with not making her glow with not making her interact with the set. The the only thing that I really, really liked that they did was at the end, Wendy could hear her. But yeah. otherwise, a, another missed opportunity here. Joshua Pickering and Jacoby Jupe play John and Michael, who may as well be cast as plot point one, plot point two. Yeah. It's a shame. I can't say anything about their performance because they were hardly in this. They're hardly in it. I mean, when when they were on screen, specifically when Wendy was sacrificing herself, they the the pain of losing their sister. I mean, they sold it. Yeah, like they were really good, but you hardly have them in the film at all. No, and and why? Because we don't, we we can't have the follow the leader scene because you had Figure to cut something that. Else out. That's such a big moment for John. You needed to give him the that part of his character arc, and I'm not suggesting that you add a song, but I do really miss having having that analytical character because it was such a nice juxtaposition against all of the fantasy and magic. But I guess when you've eliminated fantasy and magic, you don't really need to balance any of that out. So there you go. We've just stripped another character. Final thoughts. I'm going to go, and I'm going to be short and sweet. You took one of the most beloved characters... In the history of the world, you took one of the most beloved stories, one of the most timeless novels in the history of mankind, and you lit it on fire. You made a dislikable character come from a place that none of us wanted to go to, we couldn't wait to get out of, to come back to more drab. It's not Pinocchio bad, and that's not a compliment. We have tickets to go see Little Mermaid on Thursday for an advanced screening. If it misses the mark, if it is anything like this, I am just telling you right now, pin this on Twitter, on wherever you gotta go. I will be done. 
with these live action remakes. I am so tired of them as it is. If they miss the mark again, I'm throwing my hands up and I am done with them and I will wash my hands of this nonsense until Disney can go and find a new idea. I completely agree and I truly hope that Little Mermaid proves us wrong. Um, But it makes me very nervous when a film that is such a hallmark of your company is reduced to this. And I understand that we were not going to get a shot for shot live action remake for all of the reasons that we discussed last week. Correct. About this film being very problematic, but I, and we're not, we're not implying that they should have either. So don't miss the signal. That's what I'm saying. I truly thought that the reason that they were doing this was because they were going to right the wrongs and they were going to give us more accurate portrayals where they missed the mark in 1953. Um, Or because you're bothering to do a retelling, stick more closely to the source material. And you didn't do that either. So to your point, yes, you took one of the most beloved stories and some of the most beloved characters of all time and you completely strip them down to nothing. We said it before, and I will stand by this. The biggest miss of the movie was that it just lacked the charm. I think a lot of that comes from eliminating the music. And I understand the choice to do that because you were not going, you certainly were not going to use the songs from 1953, but Maybe you could have used the melody and just rewrote the lyrics because the other thing is that before Peter Pan was a novel, it was a play and it was a musical. We didn't even get to talk about this last week. One of the other big parts of Peter Pan being a part of my life was that we did the musical in eighth grade. It was the first time I had ever gotten involved in a school production. I was not on stage. I was part of the stage crew and... Even the songs in the musical, they are no better than the 1953 version of the film. But there are still some very catchy songs. And I can't believe that in a retelling of this film, you don't have the music. Instead, you have one melody from You Can Fly. You have a score that sounds so much like Hook, it really bothers me. Because I think that that's where they're subliminally trying to tell us that this movie's okay. And, and they're like trying to cue us in that like, no, this is a good thing. Um, this just missed on so many levels. And aside from the fact that it's a bad remake, especially when you consider that it's a remake of a film that is a hallmark of your company. It's bad storytelling And it is a bad product, which is very concerning that you didn't do a theatrical release. You did what you did with Pixar and you put this straight on the streaming service. And with all of the trouble that streaming services are in right now. This just it's going from bad to worse. I don't want to elaborate on that too much because We talk a lot about that in our Dockside chat, which is going to drop later today. But if you strip everything else away 
and just look at it bare bones that this is a product that Disney put out for us to consume because break it down and that's what it is. It is very troublesome to think that this is what they feel is acceptable. Honestly, you said it before that you feel like this is Peter Pan on Wish. I feel like this is Peter Pan on AI. Ooh. Well, we want to know what you have to say about Peter Pan and Wendy. I'm sure I made no friends today. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first a quick break. Hey guys, my name is Mike. I listen to Jackie and Sean's podcast every week on my commute into work. So I reached out to Jackie and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four night Disney cruise ship and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress-free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks, like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future. Thanks for everything. I think after this, it would be worth standing online for 80 minutes to go ride Peter Pan. So if you would like to do that for yourself, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I at MagicalVacationPlanner.com, and I would be happy to assist you completely free in planning your Disney vacation. Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official monorail news sponsor, and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. Don't forget, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with code MONORAIL10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's products, all of her services, and how she can help you. It is online at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. Okay, so speaking of live action remakes remakes that we really don't need, uh, I'm not sure that we're going to get this one anymore, if I'm being quite honest with you. Uh, Ali Cravalho announced this week that she is not going to uh, be playing Moana again in the live action remake. And the whole thing was that they were bringing all of them back for the live action remake so that they could reprise their roles She has opted not to do it. She said, I feel I've outgrown it. I think I've I've aged out of it. She is an executive producer on the film, so she wants to help find the next Moana, find the next person. And it's like, it's a nice sentiment. She wants to do for somebody else what was done for her, help launch her career. I'm here for it, and I like the sentiment. But if we're not doing it to reprise everyone in their role... Why are we doing this for a movie that's not even 10 years old? Well, that was our big thing when they announced it. We thought they were rushing it out so that she would not age out of the role. But I applaud her for being that mature to say, I think I'm I'm past this. Um, and I also love the idea that she's paying it forward. If it even happens at this point. Um, I, at this rate, I think that this is doomsday. Honestly, I kind of ho- I I kind of like that she threw them a curveball. I hope that's what it is. I don't want to see that for the Rock because this means so much to him. But he's already done this movie. He's already yeah. done this character. Do a Maui movie. But don't you do not need to remake Moana. Yeah. Seven years after its original, you don't need to remake it. It would be ir- irrational. 
I hope I truly listen. I hope that Little Mermaid blows us away. I want to walk out of Little Mermaid and go, holy crap, they nailed it. That was awesome. And I also hope that we never see a live action remake again. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Be sure to follow us on that uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monorail Radio. And for links related to the show, it is always online at monorailradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monorail Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.